Welcome to Chowder and Grits. Today is Thursday, July 11th, and we have got a Chowder and Grits special. We sat down with former Hokies quarterback Michael Brewer. We talked all things Hokies football, kind of get a little bit about his background, uh, what he's doing today, his family legacy, um, what the situation was at Texas Tech, what drove him to Virginia Tech, and kind of what his uh, what his thoughts are on the program today. So really fun interview. Uh, but before we get to that, Tim, what's happening? Oh, you know, just recuperating from a fantastic July 4th week. Um, as I'm sure you are, July 4th is always great. Last podcast or two podcasts ago, we talk about July 4th sides and how fantastic the food is, grilling hamburgers, eating hot dogs. But it's not the food that I want to talk about right now. I want to talk about okay. the drinks. And, you know, we're in our 30s. We like to have an alcoholic beverage from time to time. I think the evolution of my embracing spiked seltzers is really something to take note of. Um, and, and I'm talking, uh, you know, truly or white claws, um, you know, white claws are my favorite, but everybody has their own. <laughs> I realized at first I started to go to the spike seltzer section of the grocery store kind of tentatively. I wasn't sure if that was me, you know, I'd sneak over there when no one else was next to it. And, kind of grab my spike seltzer and you know get up to the counter and say oh my wife's gonna love these and nowadays man i'm all up in it i'm proud to be a guy that drinks hard seltzers and they're fantastic i'm surprised you don't that upsets me uh no so i've never had one like i'm not just saying that to say it. like i've never sipped on one and you know i've been catching a lot of flack in our group uh our group text rightfully and I've been, so you know holding steady and so today I stopped by the grocery store uh, because my, my wife is out of town this week, right? So oh. I like to cook some some Asian cuisine when she's gone because she does not like Asian food so much. Oh man. So I stopped by the store, maybe picked up some sushi, you know, got a little crazy. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go I'm gonna go buy the hard seltzer section. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I think but, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Water seltzer with alcohol yeah and and hardly any carbs no gluten right low so, sugar i like you i walked up there like real tentatively felt like everybody was looking at me <laughs> that's I was, it like, man pretending like i wasn't looking but then i noticed like these white claws and i was like all they have is a 16 pack i'm like i'm not buying a 16 pack well you're not gonna i've drink never just had one. this stuff i've never had this like my feeling is I'm not going to like it because I don't like seltzer water. Yeah. So I just feel like the spiked version, not going to do it for me. So I'm going to stick to, you know, beer, maybe a little whiskey here and there. I'm not going to say I'm never going to try it. I'm just not ready to take that plunge and invest in a 16-pack of White Claw. Look, I understand. It's, it's a hell of an investment, all right? But if you're like me... Uh, you kind of start to realize who you were from the jump. You're you're just a guy that likes a healthy alcoholic beverage every now and then, and you'd maybe like it to uh, taste like black cherry or mango. I will say, um, I was alternating between hard seltzer and bush light, so my July Fourth was awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So clearly, I am maturing in my taste, um, and I've gotten to the point yeah. now where I don't yeah. like to pay a lot of money for light beer because I don't think you can taste the difference between Natty Light, Bush Light, or Bud Light, and Miller Light, or Coors Light. And I will die on that hill. 
I disagree. There is there is a clear difference between the Bush natties of the world and Bud Light and Miller Light. I will not say that it's worth spending a lot of money over, if that's fair. Sure. I just I don't buy those beers a lot when I go to the grocery store. I, I buy more of a I try to buy more like local stuff or stuff that's brewed sure. in the area, stuff that I haven't tried. Sure. Um but yeah, I'm not a I don't buy Bud Light or Miller Light unless there's a reason to. And see, I'm only spending more money on beer if I'm gonna get something local or I'm gonna step out and maybe uh I love sour beers, I love gozas. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, or I'm going to sound like a jackass. Um, But, you know, if I'm going to spend that extra money, it's going to be a nice craft beer. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to step up and and really get some tasty Bud Light. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's not worth it to me. I'd rather have the Natty. The only beer I think truly tastes worst, worst, worse in this light beer, cheap light beer category is Milwaukee's Best. That stuff is the devil. Yeah, Milwaukee's, it's got this weird kind of... It's got a tang, it's man. It's got this weird aftertaste yeah, to it. It's got some kick that know. beer shouldn't have. And I will say, I do love the Bush Light commercials with the... Oh, yes. The Bush oh, yeah. sound. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you remember I in college... I just think they're funny. Keith Stone, the Keystone commercials. Oh, yeah. I think I bought at least... It's over a hundred bottles of Keystone Light throughout the end of my college career, solely based on marketing. Um, so, well, I was kind of a Miller High Life guy in college. Yeah, Miller High Life was good. One, it was super cheap, and it was pretty good. I, I still think you know, Miller High not, Life's pretty it's not good. Not too bad. And Miller High Life Light's not so bad. I'm not going to say they don't sell it up here. I just I don't really look for it. I'm sure it's probably there, but. Yeah, I mean, if I was looking for, like, a super cheap beer for some reason, Mm -hmm. that's probably the direction I'd stray. Well, you know, and this is not a knock on you. I I totally respect the way you do it. I'm just trying to raise awareness for people that maybe think that the only way to fit in in the beer world is to pay a little extra money to maybe look fancy. Maybe you want that double IPA, you know, or maybe you want that tangerine triple Bach sour vice beer. Or maybe you see, uh, you know, one of your, you know, uh, someone in your similar uh, age range embracing the bush light, embracing the natty light. That's who I am, and I'm here to tell you that it's okay. That's the only message I want to put out in this podcast. Yeah, and just so we're clear, I don't order beers to be seen, Tim. No, I know. That's why it wasn't directed at you. I drink them in the comfort of my my own home, for the most part. But I totally get what you're saying, because there are definitely beer snobs out there, there that are. are just like, mm, the aroma and the hops and the oh, yeah. I'm like, whatever you're talking oh, yeah. about, man. Can you I, can you taste can taste you taste it. the espresso in this? There's espresso in this. <laughs> and and that's the thing that I really don't like too, is I have this theory that no one actually likes IPA beers because they taste like pure gasoline. And that it's just <laughs> I disagree, become a fad. I'm a big IPA guy. I don't know how I don't know how you drink it. I drink one and my tummy's like unhappy. It's like, no, what is this I just foul don't have beverage? Problem. No, I mean, there are some, like the Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Right. Never been a fan. It's just, it's got this weird taste I don't like. But yeah, no, there's a lot of uh, Pale Ales out there now that are pretty darn good and not so bitter. Yeah. Because I think, you know, I used to not like Pale Ales. 
because they'd all be very bitter. Yeah. But now I just don't think that's the case anymore. You got to get out there and try it, though. I don't know, man. I, I try them a lot, and every time I think, you know, this is going to be the IPA that's really going to click with me, and then I get halfway through the pint, and I'm like, man, I want this beer to go away. So that's where I find myself. But maybe one day. And, you know, I will say, last shot across the bow of an IPA, the craft beer section at grocery stores is 95% IPAs. Let's change that. I don't know which senator I have to write, but I want that changed. Yeah, well, you know, they uh, they take up shelf space because they're the best. Yeah, I don't which know about that. We're going to talk about a little bit here in a second. So, Michael Brewer, former Virginia Tech quarterback, um, really kind of one of the toughest quarterbacks I think we've had in school history, and a guy who's had a really who had a really interesting career in college, not just at his time at Virginia Tech, but also at Texas Tech. And, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit, kind of what his uh, what his road was like to Blacksburg. And uh, I think it was a really good interview. So hopefully you enjoy. If you are here for the first time, you know, we're Trout and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You know, be sure to click, listen, subscribe, uh, tell your friends, leave us a review, and, uh, you know, we have a variety of ways that you can find us, but uh, Apple Podcast seems to be the best and the most prolific. But that's it for now. Here's Michael Brewer. Okay, we welcome on Michael Brewer, former Virginia Tech quarterback. Michael, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So before we get into it, what are you up to these days? I am down here in Austin, Texas, uh, living in the downtown area. Um, not as many Virginia Tech people down here as I would like, but I still run into a few every now and then out and about. So oh, that there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I used to live in Dallas. I lived in Dallas for five years after college. And there's, there's more people than you think, but yeah. not, not a ton. Not a ton. But Texas on the whole, an absolutely fantastic state. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not much better. I left Dallas to go to Chicago, and let me tell you, that was a severe downgrade. <laughs> yeah, that's tough, man. That's no. a tough one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, you know, you went to Lake Travis High School mm-hmm. in uh, in Austin, and, you know, while you were there, four consecutive 4A state championships – uh, pretty impressive resume. You were the starter your junior and season, junior and senior season. So, can you just explain for those that aren't familiar with Texas high school football what it's like playing Texas high school football and specifically the quarterback position? Yeah, it's uh, it's the best. I mean, you see all these movies and TV shows, and you know, obviously they Hollywood it up a little bit, but they they kind of get the gist of it. I mean, it's. You know, I remember playing in the state championship game um, and even one other game, our, our opening game of our senior season. You know, you got 50,000 people in the stands. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, it's People take it really serious down here. Obviously, you know, the area that we're in, we're pretty fortunate to have some good coaching. Uh, same with some other schools. So it really prepares you for the next level uh, is a big thing. That's why, I think that's why you see a lot of these – quarterbacks coming out of the state of Texas and doing well. Um, they're just, ever since they're in middle school, they're just really training to be a college quarterback. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I think that has a lot to do with it. 
So how realistic is the show, the movie, Friday Night Lights? <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, I guess there's some realistic parts about it. I mean, I guess the movie Friday Night Lights is a little bit Hollywooded up. That's a little bit more sure. all town than what I'm from. Um, but it's, I mean, people take it serious, you know, the, all the little kids out there at the game wearing the high school jerseys and parents and students up there yelling the whole time. And, um, we had, you know, a, a good story. An example of that is when we played in one of our state championships, uh, my senior year, um, we took a bus, you know, we got a, we played up in Dallas at the Cowboys stadium and, you know, you get there the day before and do the whole deal. And. Um, we had a police escort coming out of the school all the way up to Dallas and, um, from the school all the way, probably about 15 miles down the road was just lined on both sides of the highway and the streets with people holding up their Lake Travis signs and their jerseys and their pom-poms and everything. Just, just fired up, you know, rooting on their Cavaliers. So that's, uh, it's pretty cool. And that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's just like a mini parade before the actual parade. Was there a parade after you won the state championship? <laughs> there was a parade. Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jealous, man. I've always wanted to be in a parade after I've won something. I feel like that's got to be one of the best feelings in the world. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so, you know, you mentioned there was 50,000 people in the stands. Um, but, you know, you also had Chad Morris there um, mm-hmm. in your... I believe freshman and sophomore years. And, uh, you know, for those that aren't familiar, Chad Morris is now the head football coach at Arkansas, but, um, I believe he recruited you to Tulsa and Clemson, um, while he was there. Was that the case? Um, so I actually had three different head coaches in high school. We had a guy named Jeff Dykus my freshman year, and then Chad came my sophomore and junior year. And after our junior season, he took the offensive coordinator job at Tulsa when I still had one more year in high school. And yes, he did recruit me to Tulsa and he was there for uh, two years for sure. I'm not sure if he was there for a third year or not, but um, I did get offered by Clemson. It wasn't from him. Ironically enough, he was still uh, in Tulsa. Okay. I didn't have any affiliation with him yet, but. It's kind of funny how that would have worked out if I would have gone there. You know, he would have ended up being my offensive coordinator. Uh, so, you know, what what is it that drew you to Lubbock uh, and made you decide to enroll at Texas Tech? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you come from kind of a family legacy of, of quarterbacks. You know, your dad, your uncle, grandfather, they all played at Texas. Um, so was there any family pressure to to follow in those footsteps or was no, it just kind of left all. up to you? Yeah, no, not at all. Um, Texas Tech was, you know, kind of became intriguing uh, to me. I actually, it was my first visit that I ever took, my first offer that I ever got the beginning of my junior year, and I took a visit down there, and it was, uh, was I don't know if you've seen the the video of Leach talking about uh, (laughs) the linemen uh, paying too much attention to their fat little girlfriends. Um, but that was my first ever college visit was that game. How could we forget? (laughs) That's a classic. (laughs) Yeah, that was classic Mike Leach. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I left there and I was like, yeah, I'm not really sure if I want to go here. And, um, (laughs) and then, uh, Tuberville ends up getting the job and Texas Tech was kind of crossed off my list. And then he came to the school with Neil Brown, who is uh, now the head coach at West Virginia. And uh, really liked Coach Brown, really liked Coach Tuberville, kind of got more intrigued with the thought. 
Um, and it was a, a system that was very similar to what I was running in high school that fit me really well. Right. Um, and uh, it was set up for me to learn under a guy who um, was going to start there for two years and I would, you know, be able to follow up kind of behind him in his footsteps. So it was a great situation and it was close to home. Um, wanted to play in the Big 12 and it just kind of seemed like the best situation at the time. Um, and I enjoyed my, you know, three years there, got a degree from there and uh, gotten to play some cool games there. So uh, all in all, it was pretty good. But you know, towards the end, I was ready to get out, and I'm glad I landed where I did. Absolutely. Well, yeah, because I mean, we it was kind too. of an it was kind of an interesting time at Texas Tech because you had the Mike Leach departure, which mm-hmm. was not like a uh, I wanted to leave departure. He was kind of forced out with the Craig James saga, and probably because of comments like you just mentioned. Um, but you know, was there any kind of hostility towards? you know, Tuberville, and then especially, like, what was it like when he just kind of abruptly left and then Cliff Kingsbury came in? Yeah, it was, it really was an interesting time then there. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody was going to get a warm reception um, replacing Mike Leach down there. I mean, those yeah. people loved Coach yeah, no Leach. doubt. They loved Coach Leach, so whoever was coming in right behind him, unless he was stepping in, winning 10 games immediately, it was going to be, a, um, a rough time for him. And, and it was people in Lubbock were, were hard on him, And, you know, they were used to running the, you know, run and shoot, throwing it 50, sometimes 60 times a game. Right. And he came in and was more, you know, we're going to recruit the defensive side of the ball and we're still throw it around, but we're also going to have an emphasis on running the ball. It was just kind of a different style of play a little bit, uh, a little bit more emphasis on defense and, on the recruiting trail and whatnot. And people just weren't used to that. And, uh, you know, they just didn't really like it. Um, and so he didn't stick around for very long. I uh, can't say that I blame him too much. Um, but he, um, but he was a great coach. I mean, he did great things at Auburn and he was really, he really recruited well at Texas tech. That was one thing that he was great at. And, um, some really good players came in and out of there under his watch. Yeah. So, you know, what was the Kingsbury stuff like? Because it was interesting, you know, 2012, you were behind Seth Doogie and um, 2013, like you were basically the only quarterback on the roster, I believe, that, you know, was returning. And you had it like an incoming guy in Davis Webb. Uh, you had um, Baker Mayfield as the walk on. And then you end up getting hurt in that summer. But, you know, did you feel like you were given a fair shot there with uh, with Kingsbury? Yeah, it was a it was a pretty weird de- pretty weird deal. Um, yeah, I mean, we went through that off season. He got there right before spring, and um, so we went through spring ball, and all of that went well. Um, and things were things were going well. You know, I was getting ready to be the starter up there, and uh, about a month before camp started, um, in a non-contact drill out there during summer workouts, just doing the five ten five pro agility drill. Um, I you know, cut and hit the line and felt like somebody shot me in the back. I fractured a bone in my back in a non-contact drill. Hmm. That pretty much sidelined me for like 20 weeks, something like that, 22 weeks. Um, And so it was tough, you know, having to just sit there and watch. And, um, and yeah, we had a bunch of young guys. Baker was a walk on Davis. um, Davis was actually about to be the starter for that first game um, and got, 
very, very sick. He was in the hospital for like a week before the first, first game oh, of the season. So then we literally had one quarterback and it was Baker, you know, and when he was a walk on and that's, that's how Baker got started. <laughs> and, um, and he came in and, and did pretty well. And then he got a little banged up and then Davis went back in there and then I got cleared and I played a little bit and it we just kind of became musical chairs. Um, and eventually all three of us left. Um, so I know. But, so so why why do you think that was? Especially like a guy like Mayfield who mm-hmm. as a walk on played pretty pretty damn well yeah. for a walk on. Right. Um but it seems like he doesn't have the best things to say about Kingsbury necessarily. Um, yeah, in you know, every situation's different. Uh it was I think for Baker and I both, you know, we came from a program at Lake Travis that was really run like a collegiate program. Um, it was very structured, heavy on discipline, um, you know, up in the film room early, we're going over this, we're third down today, you know, red zone tomorrow, the whole deal. And, and um, you know, over communication on everything, you knew exactly where it stood. And, and that deal was a little bit more freelance, you know, it wasn't a ton of grinding it out in the film room. And uh, n- none of the quarterbacks really knew where they stood on a week to week basis. Um, you know, like the, uh, you know, there was a, a game towards the end of the season that I got all the one reps, um, leading up to when we played Texas and then like Thursday night, you know, they decided to play, I think it was Baker. They decided to play that day. So he hadn't been getting the one rep, so he wasn't really ready. And then, you know, then we had to pull him and I played and it was just a bunch of stuff like that that was going on. Um, and you know, Kingsbury was a young coach, first time head coach. So, it's hard to fault him too much, but eventually, you know, I think all three of us just kind of decided that it was time to go. Yeah. Yeah. That certainly at the very least seems uh, less than optimal for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of got a bit hectic down there. Yeah. So before we jump into kind of your Virginia tech, you know, your brother, uh, Charlie is, mm-hmm. uh, is at Baylor and, uh, led Lake Travis to their first six day state championship. And just kind of with like your, you know, career experience for lack of a better term, because you didn't have like the easiest probably college career of, of any quarterback out there, not just from like your own personal, but just from like program status at the time. Uh, What's it kind of like to watch him develop and like, what do you, what's what's your role with him? Like, do you give him any advice or? Yeah. I mean, I try to stay out of it, um, you know, and not, not give him, too much advice, not overdo it. But when there's some things that pop up, you know, maybe give him a tip here, or a comment here. Um, but I mean, he's got a great coaching staff down there. Matt Rule's done a great job everywhere he's been. He's done a great job. Absolutely. He took, talk about taking on a um, a tough role. Baylor yeah. was a pretty tough, pretty <laughs> tough rebuild. Took over, yeah. And then you know they win one game the first year, and then turns it around and they go win seven games next year, and they got pretty much everybody back this year. So. Everybody in Waco is pretty excited about it. They got a good home schedule. So it's going to be fun to watch. And Charlie, you know, he's been a big part of that. He, uh, he got there. They burned his red shirt that first year. He played the last three and a half games, I think, and, um, and caught some experience in there. And then last year, you know, really played well um, and helped that team out a lot. And so it'll be fun to see what happens. You know, that, that jump from year two to three is usually um, when those young guys really – take a step up and, and become more of a playmaker. So it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Are you able to get down to Waco to go see him play some? 
Yeah, that's what's been great about having him in Baylor is it's only, you know, hour and 45 minutes, two hours from where I'm at. So oh, that's perfect. Yeah. So I make it to all the home games. Awesome. Yeah. And they've got a nice, uh, nice brand new facility up there as well. Yeah, no yeah, kidding. It's right there on the river. Beautiful. So just from your standpoint, facilities, you know, mm-hmm. how, how many schools did you uh, visit when you were leaving high school? Um, I've visited a handful. I visited uh, Texas, um, Oklahoma, Texas Tech. Um, where else did I go? Uh, I've been down to a and I went to Baylor. Um, I trying to remember if I went to Auburn or not. Can't remember. I went to Tulsa. Um, I've been up to Clemson. I've you know I've been around. So just from like a facility standpoint and even kind of with what you see from uh, Baylor today, you know, where does Virginia Tech rank in your opinion? Well, I mean, even since I left Virginia Tech, they've made some major upgrades up there. I, uh, I was there last year, this past season, and uh, there's a bunch of changes. It looks really nice. Um, I mean, it's it's up there. I mean, the the top tier programs right now, like Oklahoma and Clemson and um Texas. I know Texas hasn't been really necessarily a powerhouse lately, but, um, you know, those schools are really head and shoulders above just about anybody that you're going to go visit. Um, but Virginia Tech's right up there with, you know, with Baylor and, um, Texas Tech and, and, you know, schools like that. And, um, and they're only making improvements. So that was encouraging to see, um, you know, the improvements that have been made even since 2015. Yeah, was that a was that indoor facility done when you were there? It was, or was yeah, that kind of in process. Yeah, they were building it my junior year, but it was okay. done. It was done my last year. Cool. Yeah, it's always just kind of curious because you know, just from a uh, fan perspective, there's always a lot of noise about money being generated in facilities and you know being oh, yeah. attractive to recruits. So, um, yeah, I get that. Our indoor facility is top notch. That's that's for sure. Yeah, college football is like an arms race in regards to that. I mean, you got Northwestern going crazy, and Oregon every day, it seems like, does something completely outlandish with their facilities. So um, I feel like you just have to keep improving to to even stay relevant nowadays. Yeah, you really do. Uh, so 2014, you know, you graduate from Texas Tech um, in the spring, so you're eligible to play right away. Yep. So you're back as basically a recruit. What kind of made you decide on Virginia Tech and what other programs were you considering at the time? Yeah, so that was another interesting time. Um, So it it essentially turns back into high school again. You announce it, (laughs) you announce that you're leaving, kind of put out a statement, if you will, and then you're open to be, you know, contacted and you start hearing from some schools and whatnot. And then what I didn't know at the time, and really it wasn't as normal back then for guys to be transferring. Um, it kind of, it seems like in the years after that, it kind of got more, you know, normal to see that, especially at the right. position. Um, so I didn't know at the time that the university that you're currently at has the ability to basically say where you can and can't go. Um, even if you're a graduate transfer. So my recruitment opened up and then, you know, there was kind of some chatter of some, you know, Texas, TCU, schools like that. And 
immediately got, you know, immediately got slapped with a letter saying that I was banned from any school in the Big 12, any school on the schedule for the next two years, and any school in the state of Texas. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, pretty harsh. <laughs> and um, I don't so, think those rules are in place anymore, though, are they? Uh, I'm Maybe not they sure. are. I'm not sure. Usually... Usually, um, I mean, it's not that uncommon to have, you know, not being able to transfer into conference, although you do see it quite a bit with guys that graduate that are graduate transfers. Um, but the whole blocking you from the entire state, especially like the state of Texas where there's a bunch of good schools. Yeah. That's insane. uh, Yeah. It was a little bit extreme. (laughs) So (laughs) to say the least. Yeah. I appealed, you know, all that stuff got denied. Um, and um so then it kind of opened up to out of state and i heard from some schools and really at the end it kind of came down to uh, virginia tech and kentucky that's where neil brown uh, the offense coordinator that was under tommy tuberville was at the time right um and they were kind of just starting to make a little bit of noise and um knew how good he was so that was intriguing and then obviously i started talking with um, both of both coach beamers and scott leffler and eventually made it up there and really liked it and you know it just kind of felt like the right place for me felt like home whenever whenever i was there and um you know i always tell people i wish i wish coach beamer would have just recruited me right out of high school because i'd have probably just been there for four years <laughs> yeah that would have been incredible but i think we would have taken that <laughs> yeah, I for sure would have. so i mean Maybe just talk about that a little bit. So, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you were kind of in disarray at, in uh, in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just compare like what was different from a coaching standpoint and then just kind of like at campus. I haven't yeah. been to Lubbock, but I hear it's just kind of out in its own little planet, kind of similar to uh, Blacksburg. Uh, yeah. So what is kind of the difference other than the you know, vast change in scenery. Yeah, it's Lubbock's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I guess Blacksburg kind of is too. Roanoke's pretty close, but right. it went from, you know, basically the desert flatlands to, you know, the mountains, which was nice. Um, but, you know, you mentioned the whole coaching deal. It was, you know, high school, I had three coaches, and then college, I had two coaches. And it was nice to, you know, I sat down with Coach Beamer, and the guy had been there for, I think 27 years at the time. And, um, you know, it was nice to have some stability there. And he was, you know, such a legend on his way to the college football hall of fame. And I had so much respect for him and then getting to meet him in person and actually sit down and, and have a conversation with him. It, you know, exceeded my expectations and everything that I'd heard was true. And then some, and, um, loved the campus, got to meet some of the guys, loved the guys. Um, we had a really young team, uh, but a talented team. So I was excited about where we could kind of progress that first year and take it into the next year. Um, and it just kind of seemed like a good position for me to be in. And, um, so all of that was great. And, you know, you mentioned Lubbock and, and Blacksburg, and I just loved the town of Blacksburg. I just loved being up there. So, um, all in all, it was felt like the right decision. And obviously I'm glad I made it. Yeah, I think it's interesting how you talk about Beamer because I I had the chance to meet him a few times uh, when I was a student there. And, you know, for a guy of his stature and fame, 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's probably one of the more approachable, high-profile coaches that you will ever come across for somebody in his position. And I'll even compare it to a guy like Seth Greenberg, who maybe wasn't as approachable um, and who didn't have nearly the resume that Beamer did. And he just seemed to kind of give anybody the time of day, no matter kind of, you know, what their role was or what they were doing. And, you know, I think that kind of goes a long way. And I think that's why he uh, he worked out in Blacksburg and probably had a had a good good way to, you know, transform the program into what he did over the course of 30 years. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, he was he was the best on and off the field. I mean, he was he treated everybody as equals, which, you know, you don't really see no. nowadays. I mean, I'm no. talking from the starting quarterback to the janitor. Everybody was getting treated equally, and it was, uh, it was, it was really good to see. It was, great, it was great for these young guys to, you know, to, to spend four years with them, five years with them, and, and watch and learn and see how you're supposed to go about things. Uh, so was there anything that, like, surprised you when you first arrived to Blacksburg? And this could be good or bad. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be football-related. um yeah i remember so i got there like uh one of the last days of may and then i think we started class like june 1st or 2nd something like that and and that's when workouts started and i remember we had i think we had 7 a.m workouts maybe 6 30 workouts something like that and i showed up and i came from lubbock where it's just scorching hot at that time and then to austin where it's just as hot but humid and then I got up to Blacksburg and we got up there and the sun's still down and we go out there for, you know, warm ups and we've got our shorts and cut off sleeve shirts on. And I'm like, holy crap, I am cold. It's <laughs> June 2nd and I am cold. It worked yeah. out. <laughs> I miss it. I miss it, man. 68 degrees and a little windy. And I was like, what is this? Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm kind of going through that now in Chicago, except it's like 50 yeah. degrees in the middle of June. So it's, it's great. (laughs) Definitely a culture shock. And then, so what about like the fan base? So Virginia Mm -hmm. tech has a, you know, I don't, I'm not going to put them up there with a sec program. Cause I think sec fan bases are just kind of in a class of their own, but you know, fairly vocal, high expectations. What was it like? What was your first kind of experience with the tech fan base and kind of what your initial reaction was just from anything from inner Sandman to, you know, whatever, whatever a player kind of has to deal with. Yeah, they. I mean, the Virginia Tech fan base is right up there. I mean, I'd even put them up there with some of those SEC schools. You know, some of those SEC schools are just more people. Um, but right. Virginia Tech is about as passionate as it gets. I remember um, our first, you know, fan slash media day, you know, that you do during fall camp and seeing how many people showed up to that and, um, just hearing what everybody's expectations were and, you know, all the adults, all the kids, you know, taking pictures and autographs and the whole deal, you know, you do that everywhere, but it just seemed so genuine and just people just filing in and out of there, just wanting to meet the guys, wanting to meet the team that's going to be put out there for the coming year. I thought that was great. And then obviously the first time I, you know, ran out of the tunnel to enter Sandman was, you know, you can watch all the videos and prepare yourself, you know all you can but as soon as you do it in person it's i mean it's a whole different deal it's you know give you chills just thinking about it so you you know your first game at tech is against william and mary so not exactly like you know a huge rivalry or anything 
Um, and it kind of served as a warm up to Ohio State, uh, which is kind of where, you know, you burst onto the scene. So, I mean, you lightly. kind of <laughs> you go into Columbus pretty much like a relative unknown, at least to kind of like the eastern seaboard, you know, <laughs> because it's very far removed from Big 12 country. And, you know, you're replacing a guy in Logan Thomas. You know, you've got LeBron James on the sideline. (laughs) And, you know, you shock shock the world, basically, with probably one of the largest wins in school history over uh, what was then the eighth-ranked team in the country, eventual national champion. You know, so can you just kind of talk about what that experience was like and um, maybe what that game kind of meant for you kind of bursting onto the scene in Blacksburg? Yeah, that game was awesome. I mean, obviously that one was a special one for all of us involved, but um, I just remember the preparation for that game. Um, you know, I don't know if it's that I didn't know better, you know, being being the guy coming from, you know, Lake Travis, where you just expected to win no matter who you were playing. But remember we'd watch film and even the coaches and even the young guys in there were like, I mean, this is this is a team that we can beat. And this is how we're going to do it. As long as we do this, we'll be fine. And the defense is going to play well. And we got to score, you know, probably 30 points, 28 points to win. And that's what we're going to go do. And um, and then we went out there and early we, you know, really started executing well. And that's a big thing, you know, when you got a young team and you can get off to a hot start, especially on the road. Um, that really gave us some momentum and shot some life into those guys that, you know, really gave them the belief that we could do it. Um, and so, you know, obviously we know what the outcome was, but, you know, one thing that was, you know, you, you asked me earlier about the fan base, you know, that stadium is so big and loud and for a majority of that game, all you could hear was Virginia tech people. I mean, it was awesome to hear how loud they were and how many of them showed up. And, um, that was, that was really cool. I've never been in a stadium where, um, an opposing team's fans were that into it and that loud. Yeah, no, yeah, I can't I mean, imagine. <clears throat> that's pretty incredible, too, just, you know, because we're talking about the horseshoe. You know, it's oh, Ohio yeah. State. You know, it's a, it's a big deal. But, you know, as big as that game was, you know, you head back to Blacksburg and, you know, lose the next two games, East Carolina, Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not athletes, which, of course, is most <laughs> of our listeners, not us. Right. Um you know, it's easy to sit back and say that, you know, the team wasn't ready. You know, they overlooked an opponent. You know, they just beat Ohio State. How, you know, how could they lose to East Carolina and Georgia Tech back to back? You know, as a player, kind of like, what's your lens on that? And, you know, was there anything that happened differently or did you prepare differently? Or, you know, just why do you think that happens? And I mean, I'm not talking just right. about this specific scenario. I mean, this happens to a lot of teams. Sure. Um, yeah. Across and, the you know, it obviously as a player, you go into every game expecting to win. And, you know, some teams do overlook opponents um, that can happen, especially coming off coming off a couple of big wins. Um, I think for us, you know, obviously it's not something that I would say in the media back when I was playing. But for us, you know, a big deal is you play in a game like that. And, you know, we got beat up. You know, we were we were injured. I was I was injured for the rest of the year. We had receivers that were in and out. We didn't play with the same offensive line the entire season from 
from that game. We had defensive guys shuffling in and out. And that's what happens right. when you're a team that doesn't have a whole lot of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, playing against a team like that that does have a lot of depth. Um, and that's tough. You know, that's something you got to build in recruiting. And we just weren't there at the time. You know, we had a young football team. And, and when you play teams that are really deep like that, it's it's hard to come out healthy and, you know, sustain the same kind of momentum that you had that prior week. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of what you mentioned there too, is a lot of times that gets lost in the headlines because the headline is you beat Ohio state and everybody kind of forgets about those little things. And specifically, you know, Virginia tech as a program was kind of in this transition period. You know, everybody knew the Beamer era was close to being over. Um, it hadn't been kind of what it, what fans had kind of grown accustomed to, um, you know, for the vast majority of his time there. But, you know, you finished that season seven and six. I believe you won a bowl game that year. Yeah, yeah we did. Okay. Yeah, we, um, actually, we actually played Tuberville in the bowl game. Oh, that's, that's right. That's <laughs> yep. right. That's right. Full circle. So what was that like? It was, it was pretty funny. Um, I remember, um, you know, it was Tuberville and Babcock and I, all there in a room at one point, and I said, man, you know, at one point I was so mad at Babcock. I didn't know who he was at the time. I was so <laughs> mad at him for stealing Tuberville. And then I get here, and I love him. And now yeah. Tuberville's on the it's other the side, and I was like, you know, this thing's come full circle. It's just great. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Yeah, so I'm sure that was interesting. But, you know, the following year, you host Ohio State in Blacksburg. Oh, Opening man. week, Labor Day weekend the nation's watching primetime only game on and the hype around the game was insane because, you know, Ohio state's coming off a national championship. You know, they've got this three headed monster at quarterback and nobody knew who was going to play. It was going to be Cardell Jones. Was it going to be JT Barrett? Where were we going to put Braxton Miller? You got Ezekiel Elliott on that side of the ball. You know, their defense is insane, but we get out to an early 14, nothing deficit. And then the second quarter happens, and probably one of my favorite, no, not probably, the best juke cool. move I've ever yeah. seen from yeah, Sam yeah. Rogers. Sam. You yeah. know, gets into the end zone. Oh, and, man. you know, all of a sudden, Tech's got all the momentum. It's 17 14 at half, Virginia Tech with the lead. And then uh, Ohio State comes out, and that, that first opening drive scores a quick touchdown. And then the opening drive of the second half, you, you get rocked pretty hard and break your collarbone. Yep. So maybe just talk about kind of like what that entire weekend was like, what the day was like leading up to that. And then when you knew that you were hurt, because when you break a collarbone, you know, it's broken. Yeah. Um, what was just kind of running through your mind at that point? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the frustrating thing was, you know, all off season, we had all of these young guys the year before Isaiah and Bucky and Cam and all of our running backs were freshmen. And we had some young guys on defense and on the offensive line. And, you know, they all had to battle through injury all year. And then we have a full off season together. By the time we got, you know, into fall camp, we were feeling really good about where we were. Um, you know, I was really, really excited about what we were going to do that year. And I, I, you know, think that we had a chance to do really well. I think we, you know, could have been a 10 win football team that year. And, um, and then so we get into the Ohio State game and, you know, we talked about it all week. We're like, they're going to come out and give us the biggest punch that they possibly can in the 
in the mouth in the first quarter. We're going to weather it and we're going to come back and beat them the rest of the game. And, um, and it was one of those days, you know, as a, as a quarterback and as an offensive coordinator, um, you know, you're just seeing the field really well one day. Um, and after that first quarter, it kind of seemed like coach Leffler and I just knew exactly what they were doing on defense every time we lined up. And, um, and that, and it just, becomes fun it becomes a video game at that point because you really feel good about every player and changing plays at the line and and anticipating what they're going to do and and it kind of showed you know through the through the second quarter we had a big second quarter and we're able to gain some momentum and then obviously the collarbone thing happened and that was pretty unfortunate but that kind of took the air out of the balloon for a little bit and they were able to you know capitalize on it yeah and you know i what i remember most from that game was uh, the feeling of that game was ours. I don't think I even entertained the idea of losing that game um, until you went out. And I, there there are a few games that I can remember as a Hokies fan where I felt more let down and just, man, you talk about bad luck. Unreal. Unreal. Yeah, I mean, you, obviously, it's, you know, you'd say now, oh, yeah, we should have, you know, we would have won that game saying it now. Well, you know, we didn't, but but I, you know, I felt the same way, you know, yeah. during course of the game that was a game that I was as confident as I've ever been that we were going to win yeah would have been, I, I would have been a wild night in Blacksburg oh my gosh oh, it, I don't it would have I don't remember the uh the publication or where I read this quote but it was from you um and you were talking about speaking to some of the hokey staff about like you didn't even want to think about surgery you just wanted them to shoot you with whatever they could shoot you with to put you back in that game and I think after I read that I was like you know Michael's probably one of my favorite Hokies to ever play football. I got to tell you. Yeah, that did happen. I probably wasn't um, the most well-liked in the training room because of stuff like that. <laughs> I, was, I was probably a little difficult to deal with. But, yeah, the surgeon came in and was like, you know, touched it barely and was like, yeah, that's we got to go get an x-ray now. And I was like, that's nah, not happening. <laughs> you're going to shoot this thing up and we're going to go get this thing done. We'll get surgery tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was, love it. Yeah, that thing's going to stick into your neck. It's like, all right. Yeah, well, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> it's just your neck, right? It's replaceable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's, you know, we're kind of joking about it, but, you know, you took some huge hits. Oh, my God. While you were under center. And, you know, you, you kind of, you're kind of down in hokey folklore. I don't know if you know this, but you're, like, considered to be one of the toughest players we've ever had because, you know, you're not, you know, the biggest guy out there on the field. You're not, like, a Logan Thomas right. size. Um, but you know, some of the hits that you could take and then the fact that you break your collarbone, you know, a lot of guys are out eight, 10 weeks. You know, I think they had initially said you were going to miss eight games. You know, you end up missing five full games. Mm -hmm. You play a little bit, um, in that sixth game or I, I think you yeah. miss five full games. You miss six total starts. I think I'm, yeah, I think I missed four starts, five weeks. Because I think one five weeks by week. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I, and then I came in and played like the last, you know, eight minutes of the Miami game. Right. I missed like five and a half weeks. Yeah. So, I mean, what was that like? Because I don't know if by the time you came back, I think we found out Beamer was going to retire like beginning mm -hmm. of November. Right. So I don't know if that had been announced yet, but for you personally, you know, you're a senior. So this yeah. was like your last chance to play football in college at Virginia Tech. You know, what was it like just trying to get back on the field? And, you know, one, Virginia Tech was, I think, three and four at the time. 
um, after after you went out and kind of, you know, in jeopardy of missing a bowl game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was a it was pretty much an everyday battle. You know, we started uh, I got surgery that first thing that next morning after the Ohio State game. And then we started rehab the next day after surgery. I would get in there and started rehabbing it and um, kind of got to a point where. So now I, you're just trying to show off with your toughness. Is that what's happening? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, they put a bunch of metal in it, right? It's just a right. metal rod and a bunch of screws. So, um, I mean, it's not going anywhere. Everything around it's just got to kind of heal so it doesn't chip off and fracture around it, basically. Um, so it was all just kind of like strengthening the muscles around it. So, um, you know, after a couple of weeks, I was getting to a point where I could kind of throw it around, you know, 70%. Um, and then we, you know, had some of the guys hitting me on the mats and stuff and trying to take hits. And I got to a point where we're like, hey, this thing's close enough. You know, how do you feel? I'm like, yep, let's do it. And, um, and you know, the main thing is I just – I would have been sick to my stomach if I sat there and knew I could have gutted it out and we didn't make a bowl game. And Coach Beamer, you know, coached us last year without – continuing that bull streak. Right. Um, and that was really the thing that was just going through my mind every day. And uh, so fortunately I was able to, you know, get healthy and, and the guys played well um, when I got back and we were able to rattle off some wins and make it to a bowl game and win it. Yeah. I mean, you go five and two upon your return with a crazy three or four overtime game against Duke. I can't remember how many it was now, but I think it was four. Um, but you end up getting to that bowl game, six and six. Beamer's last game, you know, I think he carried him off the field against UVA. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was that like, just knowing that, you know, I'm going to be the quarterback in Frank Beamer's last coach football game. And, you know, you're going up against a school that recruited you out of high school in Tulsa. Yep. You know, looking back on it now, what did that final game mean to you? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, you know, for all the seniors, you work so hard to, you know, just to get to play college football. And then, um, you know, all the work that you put in while you're there and all the ups and downs. And it's just, you know, it's a journey to grind. And, you know, for it to be the last one, um, you really just go out there and all you can think about was, you know, you got to peel me off the field. This is right. everybody's, everybody's got that mindset, you know, we're going to give it everything we got. We got to go win this thing. And to top it off, you know, it's Coach Beamer's last game ever. And, you know, how cool that would be to win that for him and everything that he's done for, you know, not only Virginia Tech, but for college football and um, and what he means to to Virginia Tech and college football. And so obviously he meant a lot to us and we wanted to make sure that he got that win. So just like looking back on your career as a whole at Virginia Tech, what what really stood out the most for you and kind of like what like for now you're a few years removed from the program. What do you look back on and kind of like relish? And just being in the locker room um, every day with the guys, you know, it was just a fun place to be. Uh, we worked really hard, you know, everywhere from, you know, the training room to the wait staff to, you know, the coaches and, and all the way up to Coach Beamer. It was just every day was was fun. You enjoyed being up there. And, you know, there's there's nothing better than being in the locker room with the guys, preparing for games and then going out there and, and obviously playing. You know, there's a lot of ups and downs. Obviously, I wished, you know, a lot of guys would have stayed healthier. I wish I could have stayed healthier. Um, that's one thing that, you know, was disappointing for me is I feel like I only got to play, you know, 
basically one football game, one and a half football games my first year and half of a football game my second year at, at 100% health. And so that was disappointing. You know, college football was a little up and down for me. So, um, but I still enjoyed the heck out of it and, you know, obviously would do it again if I could. Yeah. yeah no so question. did you get any looks at the NFL? Yeah. So whenever I got done, um, I got some calls from some teams. I, <laughs> I couldn't get healthy enough in time to go out there and actually go to anything. Um, right. I had a, that last year, you know, I told you about my back when I was at Texas tech and, um, there was a play in that, the first Ohio state game, um, in the third quarter where I kind of got sandwiched and kind of re aggravated that fracture back there. And it just shut me down for, you know, for a long time and had problems with it basically the rest of college. And then, you know, obviously broke the collarbone, um, my senior year and then broke my foot against North Carolina my senior year. So, you know, there was a lot of things that had healed by the time I got out of there and, and uh, I just couldn't get healthy enough in time. And eventually, you know, I just made the decision that it's probably just time to go be a regular person, go to work, go be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Go, uh, go live the dream. Yeah. As I like to say. <laughs> Somebody else's dream, not mine, but you know, how how closely do you follow the program today? Yeah, I follow it really closely. I watch all the games. Um, I don't keep up with recruiting as much as you know a lot of guys, but you know I'll start paying close attention close attention to it closer to signing day, kind of see who we're getting. And um, I've got some guys up there that I'll stay in touch with, kind of hear how practice and workouts are going and whatnot, and um, things like that. So I. Uh, I stay in the know, but from afar. So are you, do you go back to Blacksburg like once a year, every couple of years type of deal or? Yeah, I usually go back once a year for a game. Okay. So just talking about the Fuente era. So you were, you know, obviously not involved with that, but mm-hmm. some of your teammates were, what, what do you think about the job that he's done so far? Just replacing Frank Beamer and, um, kind of now that he's been there for three years, entering his fourth season, where do you think the Fuente era stands right now? Yeah, I mean, we talk, you know, kind of like the whole Tuberville replacing Leach deal. Um, Pretty tough to go in and replace a guy like Frank Beamer. Um, But obviously it helped that first year. You know, he had a good veteran squad with some really good talented players, um, and they did well. And and obviously that, I think that bought him some some credibility with with the fan base and, um, I had already kind of known about him from his time at TCU um, and and kept up with him a little bit at Memphis. So, um, you know, I, I, I think he's going to do a great job. Um, you know, obviously last year wasn't exactly what everybody was looking for, but it's kind of what I was talking about earlier with our deal is, you know, when you don't have a lot of depth and you get into injury problems, it, it really slows you down. And uh, so hopefully hopefully we can get to a point where, uh, we got some guys rolling in off the bench and, and we get a little, little bit deeper on both sides of the ball. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think last year was a tough year and it would have been a tough year for any coach just because of the amount of you know, the lack of depth, the amount of young guys they also had uh, kind of in key positions. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, it just seems like looking at the fan base and I'm I'm a I'm a Fuente supporter. Let me put it that way. 
Absolutely. But it seems like some of the Beamer era players that kind of leaked into his tenure, you know, it's like half and half. There's some guys that you see like Isaiah Ford, Cam Phillips, Sam Rogers, you know, even guys like Adonis Alexander, who, you know, he was kicked off the team due to academics, but, you know, he still shows up to games. He's on the sideline. You know, you see him at practices, they come back and, you know, they're doing whatever. But then there's other guys who seem to be a little bit more vocal on Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. just in support of maybe players that left. Um, I've seen so, that. I got you. I've seen some of that. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it just recently happened, but, you know, it seems like there's this huge polarization with Fuente and, you know, there's some players that can play for him clearly. And there's some guys that really like him, And then there's some that just don't mix well. Like right. what's your take on that? And do you think there's really anything to it? Yeah, I think the main thing, you know, I saw some of this when I got to Texas Tech, right? There was a ton of guys on the team that were there with Coach Leach and now they're there with Tuberville. And, you know, some guys sign with, you know, the guy that they sign with at a high school, that's who they're loyal to. And um, some guys aren't as, you know, receptive as somebody else coming in and barking at them and, you know, being tough. When you're the new coach, you know, you got to come in and establish discipline and this is how we're going to do things. And, you know, typically that first year with the new coach is pretty tough, you know, because they're trying to set, set the standard and, and things. And, you know, some guys just don't really gel well with that coming from, you know, somebody that, you know, hey, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up with this guy. And, but, you know, again, you know, and then there's other guys that, hey, this is the hand that we've been dealt. Let's let's just go get it. And I think that's kind of the main thing. I don't I don't think it's necessarily anything that Fuente has done. Um, I think it's more so guys, you know, signing with Beamer. And then, um, you know, then you get a new coach who's coming in, establishing discipline is tough on everybody. And right. you know, they don't necessarily get along with that. I think it's kind of the main thing. And it certainly didn't help that we were losing games in ways that Virginia Tech typically doesn't lose games. So, you know, it gets tough like that. I imagine that's kind of hard on the locker room, too. Um, You know, those were some uh, not Virginia Tech-like losses, especially where the defense was concerned. So I imagine that caused a little strife, too, Um, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, you're exactly right. So, you know, you kind of started a little trend at Virginia Tech. You know, you were this, you know, graduate quarterback transfer. You know, you had two years of eligibility remaining. You know, the year after you leave, Gerard Evans comes in. You know, Fuente guy, you know, leads Virginia Tech to an ACC title appearance. Almost knocks off Clemson. Yep. Very close. Very close. And then, you know, there's a year where we've got Josh Jackson as the quarterback. But then, you know, he goes down with an injury. And Ryan Willis, who's a guy from Kansas, so uh, a smaller program, um, kind of in a very similar position to you, a little bit different. But, you know, have you met Ryan Willis? I have not. You, you no. have not. I have not. So, you know, from your perspective, just being in a similar situation, you know, what's, you know, the biggest challenge for a guy like Willis who, you know, now he's coming into this year, most likely, because Fuente doesn't like to name who the quarterback's going to be. Right. We're going to assume he's the starter for all intents and purposes. Okay. And Virginia Tech's got expectations mostly due to strength of schedule this year. It's not the strongest schedule that we've ever seen. You know, two FCS opponents. The ACC's not super strong. No major out-of-conference games. Um, 
ODU revenge game. You know, need to make sure we beat them. But, you know, <laughs> some people are throwing out 10 wins. I think 8 to 10 wins is a realistic expectation. You know, what would be kind of your advice or, you know, train of thought if you were Ryan Willis kind of coming into that as the guy for, for his senior season? Yeah, I mean, I think he's gotten the hard part out of the way when you're a transfer coming in, number one, having to learn the offense first and foremost. That's the most important thing. And then after that, um, really just trying to win over the locker room. Um, and some guys, you know, try to do that too hard. You you really just got to do it in your own way and, and do it through your actions. And, and you know, guys want to see their quarterback up there grinding it out in the film room and studying the playbook and grabbing receivers to go do extra work and and things of that nature. And that's how you that's how you build leadership, especially for a guy who didn't come in with a signing class. Um, and so, you know, hopefully that's what he's doing right now is getting in all that extra work with those guys. Because I know for me, that was one thing that really helped me a lot when when I transferred in was any chance I got. I was grabbing, you know, the Sam Rogers, Isaiah Ford, Cam, Bucky, all those guys, the centers um, just, you know, work on handoffs. Hey, let's work on you know, red zone throws, let's work on these throws and just doing that as much as we could, you know, going up there at night or after workouts or just whatever. And that's kind of how you build that camaraderie while you're still building timing and, um, you know, things like that go a long way, both, you know, on the field and off the field. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he's, you know, doing everything he can to earn that starting job for this year. And um, hopefully, you know, hopefully he's doing some stuff like that. So as a fan, what are your expectations for the coming season? Well, I saw um, the over-under lines come out. I think they had us at eight. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough bet. It is a right tough bet. That, you're right at that kind of threshold. Yeah. I do love my college football betting. and that is- <laughs> So do we, man. I, 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 I kind of like the over on that. Um, is, I'll say this. If we stay healthy, we will hit the over. If we yeah, don't, no question. Yeah. So um, we'll see. I mean, expectations should be high, I think. I think they should always be high. But um, I know we had an incredibly young team last year, and we got just about everybody back, it seems like. so. Um, and, you know, if Ryan's plan have some more stability at the quarterback position, a guy who's been in there and um, – Hopefully defense will patch it up a little bit, which, you know, I'm sure they will. Coach Foster is about as good as it gets. Um, and when Coach one thing about Coach Fuente is when he does have the pieces in place um, and a guy that can operate the system, he's got a really fun system to play in. Um, really, you know, quarterback-friendly system. So they should put up some big numbers on offense. Yeah, Virginia Tech's done kind of a uh, role reversal in the last few years where you know, last year the defense really struggled, which almost never happened. Um, right. And, you know, lack of depth, young guys, things like that. But now it's like we're relying on the offense to kind of drive the train. So um, it's going to be a fun season, I think. I think there's probably like nine games that we, it feels like on paper at least, that we should win. Right. It's easy to sit here and july and say that because you have no right. idea how the season's going to unfold what's going to happen from an injury standpoint but you know a couple of big games you got the notre dame game miami virginia which i'm sure we will defeat again because they can't beat us but uh 
what was right. what was the Virginia Virginia Tech robbery like for you as a as a guy out of state? Because Bryce Perkins on the Virginia side is kind of in that role now, um, mm-hmm. and he seems to be extremely gun ho about beating Virginia Tech. What was oh, your yeah. kind of viewpoint? Yeah, I'm sure he is. I mean, I would like to be the guy who you know gets their first win and what is it? What are we now? Like 15 years? 15, yeah. Yeah. So. He wants he wants that like legend status. That's what yeah. he wants. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, no, it was awesome. I remember the first time that we played Virginia, other than the Ohio State game, I think is my favorite game that I've played in at Virginia Tech. Um, that rivalry was awesome. Getting to experience that for the first time, and we had them at home, and it was freezing cold, and um, you know, high stakes for both teams, and. Um, that was a back and forth battle and that was that was a lot of fun that was the game that when we came out um out of the tunnel everybody met at midfield and had words i loved it yeah i loved it that was that was my introduction to that rivalry was coming out of the tunnel i used to always come out in the back and i came out and saw that i was like wow all right here we go all right let's go (laughs) yeah let's do it okay so before we finish up we always like to do a little bit of rapid fire with our guests. So first question, I think it's an obvious one. What were your thoughts on the name Chowder and Grits? <laughs> it's awesome. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I like to hear. Makes me think, uh, you know, you're covering the whole ACC Northeast all the, all the way down to Southeast. There it is. He there gets is. the show. He gets it. He gets it. He gets yeah. it. That's, that's the first, like, I get it comment that we've yeah. had. Yeah. Okay. So any, uh, you know, I can't recall any grits while I was in Dallas. It's not yeah. like a traditional Texas dish, but yeah. any recommendations from an Austin standpoint? Yeah, grits really isn't a big thing down here. Yeah. Um, I've been to some places like in Georgia and North Carolina that have got oh, good yeah. grits, South Carolina. Um, I couldn't tell you the name of them, but I've had some good grits in that area. Sure. I just made shrimp and grits. This week, boys, I'm on brand. <laughs> yeah, I I'm was in Tennessee. Brand. I think I had it with every meal almost. So not to. Um, Cowboys or Texans? Cowboys. Okay. There you go. Jerry's world. Yep. Um, you are a big outdoorsman, correct? Yeah. So New River Valley. We've got some, you know, fans obviously in that area. You know, what's the outdoor scene like, specifically smallmouth fishing? Any recommendations for places to go? Oh, it's awesome. Um, I loved all the outdoor stuff when I was there. We used to go down to the – some buddies on the team, and I used to go down to the New River all the time. Um, I believe it was uh, Pembroke area, I think, um, like 25 minutes away from campus. We used to put some kayaks in there and just float up and down the river and – fish and hang out um loved it it was awesome you didn't have that in lubbock <laughs> no <laughs> we, had good, we had some good dove hunting in lubbock yeah oh, i bet i bet uh most competitive teammate you ever had um probably lake travis <laughs> so competitive teammate so oh, like individual person. I thought you said most competitive team. No, yeah, that was an obvious one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> most competitive teammate, probably Sam Rogers. I knew that was coming. I knew it. 
Yeah. I just knew it. Is that guy as intense as he seems? Because first <laughs> off, like, Every my love of... for Sam Rogers is out of this world. I just oh, want yeah. that to oh, be I... the um, in the military bowl, um, our junior year, uh, we ran a play on the goal line, and he was lead blocking, and he dislocated his elbow. Oh, yeah, it was it was bad. It was, I've heard that's a very painful injury, and he comes back to the huddle and he's just kind of, you know, shaking and he's got this look and I'm like, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, just call the play. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> um, so he played a couple of plays with a dislocated elbow. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. You can just look in Sam's eyes and know that he would try to play on a dislocated elbow. Oh yeah. He would literally die on the field. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I imagine. Yeah. He was awesome. Uh, one word to describe Frank Beamer. Legendary. Amen. Loudest stadium you've ever played in. Lane Stadium. Okay, that was an easy one. Just trying to get you some more fans. And, that was a test. That was a test. And by the way, that's an honest answer. That's that's not pandering to the listeners there. Okay. You no, know, and that's interesting too because you know Lane has about sixty six thousand seats, a little bit over, yeah. and. You know, in high school, you were playing in front of 50,000 people. Big 12 has some big stadiums. Yep. SEC's got some 100,000ers, Big 10. You know, what is it about Lane that makes it so loud? I mean, I don't know. I guess just the fans. Um, I mean, I've played at Texas, at OU, and at Ohio State, all very big, you know, loud stadiums. And I can honestly say that Lane Stadium was louder than all of them. Um, especially for a big night game. I mean, those people are just the whole game, you know, they're on their feet, jumping up and down, yelling. And it just seems like it's nonstop. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, we're getting into kind of like hype video season. And oh, so yeah. if like, I was like, we're going to have like seven wins this year, I'd watch <laughs> a hype video, maybe three, four times. I'm going to be like, we're, we're going undefeated. That's yeah. it. I mean, so for- exact same way. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been in as many stadiums as you have, Michael, but I've been in a few, and there's something about Virginia Tech that you can almost, the energy that the fans generate is palpable in a way that's not present in other stadiums. It's crazy. It really is, yeah. It's you. It's one of those that you got to, you know, I tell my friends and, you know, other people down here that ask me about it, it's one of those deals where it's, it's hard for me to explain it to you. It's a, If you're a college football game, you got to go to a big night game in Lane Stadium right. to see it for yourself. right. Yeah, the night just brings out another level on top of an already high level at Lane, and um, well, just enter Sandman at night. Like. Oh it yeah, just sets it just sets the tone. It I think does. it just yeah, gets it, people crazy. It really does. Uh, so another kind of softball for you, but maybe you can elaborate. Which conference has the best fans, Big Twelve or ACC? As a whole, yeah. Probably. Like and by best, maybe I mean like most engaged. Yeah, as a whole, probably Big 12. Okay. I'd, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, there was quite a few places that we'd play that were a little bit of a snooze fest. Yeah, I mean, Boston College and Syracuse aren't helping our cause here. No, yeah, Boston College, Syracuse, yeah. Wake Forest, Duke. Oh, Pitt. Pitt, the yeah, worst yeah. defender of all. Miami was like that, too. When we oh, were. yeah, Miami. Yeah. That, that's yeah. one that just blows my mind because— I know of the history of that program and you know and i say that i i went to the notre dame game uh the year after you you graduated 
2016 where we got down 24-7, I think it was. That was the snooze fest. I was like, this is Notre Dame, you know, but it had this like very kind of like quieter atmosphere. You know, people were sitting down. It was bleachers. It was just kind of odd. Yeah. Um, True or false? We've already we've already talked about this. Friday Night Lights is a realistic portrayal of Texas high school football. (laughs) Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. It's based um, on a true story. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, what attribute to you is most important for a quarterback to have? Leadership. For sure. I love it. What was the scariest thing you saw Bud Foster do in the locker room? <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a couple of times that, like, when he really yells, like, when he yells, yells. <laughs> And gets onto somebody, it's pretty terrifying. Like spit spit going everywhere. Like he's a oh, pretty yeah. guy. Oh yeah. Yeah, the intensity level, it's palpable. Oh yeah, so, you can see it on the sideline just when you're watching on TV. If they pan onto him for too long, you kind of get uncomfortable. Yeah, it's awesome. And but I Coach Foster was awesome. Those guys play so dang hard for him. Yeah. Uh, which is always really cool to see. They all, all those defensive guys, at least when I was there, loved Coach Foster. Yeah, it, it comes through. You can see it, you know, with the way they react after big plays and especially the way he reacts after big plays. For, for guys that are giving it all on defense, it's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's awesome. Best version of the Virginia Tech helmet you've ever worn? Ooh. Um, I have an answer for this, too. I hope it, I hope you pick the one that I like. Man, I loved it when we would wear all white. Uh, yeah, that was a good look. Yeah, I really liked all white. Would we would we'd go all white with the the maroon VT? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, just called a rush action. Yeah, that was uh, that was my favorite. The ones that we wore uh, that uniform com- uniform combo we wore the 2015 Ohio State game was pretty cool too, though. Yep. Yeah, that was good. The one I liked too, I think it was during your time there, and I think it was Beamer's last game against Virginia with a throwback VT helmet. Yeah. Um, yeah. With cool. the white face mask. That was just beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. What was your take on the, uh, I think this was before your time, I think we've only worn them one time, the um, Hokie Stone helmets? Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't wear the Hokie Stone helmets, but um, those were interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I wasn't a huge fan. That's a great way to put it, man. That Uh, was very diplomatic, Michael. (laughs) You know what logo I did like, though, that I had heard kind of caught a lot of flack was the the little hokey track prints. I liked those. Mm, I did, too. It's a nice little throwback. I think I did, too, but the internet hated them. Yeah, that's what I heard. I I don't know. I thought those were kind of cool. I wish we would wear the Fighting Gobbler logo on more uh, on more helmets than we do i think that old school fighting turkey is just a good look yeah what i you- did like the black with the uh the matte black with the vt stone yeah mm-hmm. yeah that, that was certainly good- better yeah what do you think of the new uniforms that we've been wearing <sighs> from from after i graduated I, the uniforms from your era were much better i think than the version of those uniforms that we're wearing now and the thing that bothers me the most is the stripe on the helmet i just want that sucker to go all the way back more than anything in my life and it won't it just won't do it 
Yeah, we might need to change those. Yeah, I'm not a fan. I, I feel like we had a pretty classic uniform when you were there, and I really wish we just kind of maybe modernized the template a little bit, but not quite to the extreme, I think, that we took it. I I completely agree. I think we kind of look like an Arena League football team right now. Amen. Yeah, that's that's true. I, I wish we would embrace the orange, okay? Yes. But not not too much, because I was at a game in my college my college life where we went all orange, including the helmet. Mm -hmm. That was a little much. It's <laughs> a lot. But oh. I just feel like the orange is missing. The uh, Speaking of that, the um, one of my other favorites that we wore was the white helmet, white face mask with the orange VT, and we wore orange jerseys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was clean. We, we were playing, uh, like, Western Michigan or something like that, but those were those were pretty cool. Yeah, the orange show, Justin, you mentioned that. I think one uniform set that I remember, and I want to say it was Marshall, maybe when David Wilson was here, we did an orange helmet, white jersey, orange pant, Yeah, um, which was fire. And it, those orange pants, period, need to be in our rotation way more than they are right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Embrace the orange. Embrace. Let's start a new campaign. You know what? We need to screw a new campaign. We need to start a new podcast dedicated to critiquing football uniforms. Uh <laughs> moving forward i yeah. just want to say that this is some good stuff you're not going to get this anywhere else <laughs> yeah there you go i'll have I'll, I'll endorse that absolutely so what was it like getting a bunch of free virginia tech apparel all the time <laughs> yeah i mean that was pretty good <laughs> so how do, how do you go about because like i get real jealous of the shoes because mm -hmm. you can't order those things like if i see like a pair of just like nike vt shoes i'm like i want those i will order those right now and i can't yeah it was uh, it's always pretty great i mean you're you know you're a college kid what i mean it's not like you're going over to the mall and going to buy a bunch of clothes so it's kind of nice to you know have free pair of shoes and some sweatpants and some shirts and stuff like that so it's pretty nice yeah uh so last question tim i will let you do the honors. Okay. So I was, I was reading another article, and this was, if I get the animal correct, is it a doll sheep? A doll sheep? Yeah. Is that what it's called, Justin? Do you, do you uh, that? Yes. That is, what it, that, that is what you have. Okay. So you were talking about how you were hunting, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, or you were out in the woods surviving on freeze-dried fruit for a couple <laughs> of days, and you hadn't eaten in a while. Yeah, um, and that you guys took down a doll sheep and you ate the backstrap grilled over an open flame uh, with just some salt yep. and some pepper. So my question to you is: you have two choices. You have the backstrap of a doll sheep, salt and pepper over an open flame, versus a Texas smoked brisket. Which one are you taking? Oh, Texas smoked brisket. Idiot. Okay, perfect, <laughs> my guy. Because you did mention in that article is one of the best pieces of meat you've ever eaten. Yeah, well, I mean, when you hadn't really eaten anything, but freeze-dry food and blueberries that you pick off the ground for three days you get pretty hungry just about anything tastes good <laughs> amen I, I mean i remember so this was not too long ago i hadn't been to texas i went to texas uh ate at what pr texans would probably consider would be like a c-level barbecue joint and the brisket mm -hmm. blew me away man T texas oh. is one of the greatest states period and and one of the main reasons is the barbecue just out of this world yeah, the barbecue scene and the Tex-Mex scene is pretty mm. good. Yeah, yeah Tex-Mex. I mean, oh, I, can't, I cannot eat Mexican food 
anywhere else and just not think about Texas. Because like for me, I measure all Tex-Mex against the brisket taco. How good is the brisket taco at this particular Mexican restaurant? And that's kind of my barometer. So <laughs> one last question. Okay. Pecan Lodge in Dallas, have you been there? Say it again. Have I been where? Pecan Lodge. Pecan Lodge? I don't think so. Well, let me tell you. It is good? the best barbecue in the state of Texas. Now, I haven't been to Franklin's. I, I was going to say, he's got Franklin's, Austin. though. He's got I know that's Franklin's. the Austin thing. Yeah, Franklin's is pretty good. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. My favorite is Cooper's in Lano. Okay. Haven't there's been there. Couple, there's a couple now, but one of the original ones is, is in Lano, and it's they cook on one of those big smokers where you you know, you know step in, and they just open it, and you pick out which piece of meat you want. It's pretty yep. great. Yeah. And, and shout out to sausage, too. I didn't realize that sausage could be a part of barbecue until I went to Texas, and it's incredible. Cheese sausage. Oh, man. See, I haven't, I haven't even gotten to that point where i'm eating cheese sausage in texas but next time i'm down there i'll look for that yeah you guys need to come down to texas and i'll educate y'all yeah, absolutely please, please do if there's one thing i need educating on and i'm willing to be a, a student in that case it's barbecue hey well i'll be the teacher anytime amen well hey we appreciate it man the, the time spent here was incredible that was some really good stuff yeah appreciate you guys having me on I enjoyed it Okay, so thanks again to Michael Brewer. Really appreciate him coming on the podcast. Uh, really, really jacked that he got the name chowder and grits to him. Absolutely. I mean, that's my main takeaway, right? Um, so what else did you think about the interview? What really stood out to you? Uh, one, I think Michael's awesome to talk to. Uh, great guy. And, and to me, really a legend. Uh, one of those guys who you go back and he's going to, he's going to go down in the absolute, you know, the annals of Virginia tech history. Um, the quarterback who got dusted so many times and picked himself right back up. Uh, the guy who hit Bucky Hodges, uh, on the sideline in the end zone at Ohio state to put us up a touchdown, um, latish in the fourth quarter. And it was really cool just to get to talk to him. I think his observations on Texas high school football were cool because that Lake Travis program was incredible. Um, and, you know, anytime we can talk about Sam Rogers dislocating an elbow and shaking in the huddle for a couple plays after that is a good interview as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, pretty incredible. So, I mean, <clears throat> just the uh, just kind of his view on the program and kind of where it's at today I thought was interesting. And uh, his experience, you know, he did not have a uh, super traditional run through college no. athletics at no. least from uh, a guy who was higher profile you know a quarterback at a power five school so um really interesting got some good perspective there but uh you know hopefully you enjoyed it you know i think uh hopefully we'll have michael on here again soon maybe talk some x's and o's we'll see what happens uh but I don't know about you, Tim. If I'm in Austin anytime soon, I'm going to hit him up. I'm going to make him teach me about barbecue. No doubt. I'm, I'm willing to do all the learning I possibly can in that arena. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we can get him back for another podcast and uh, break down some of the, the Hokies' offense and, um, you know, talk football with him because it seems like, uh, you know, obviously very knowledgeable in that area as well. Yeah, so, again, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. This was uh, a special episode. We really just wanted to focus on uh, Michael Brewer and his experience at Virginia Tech. 
We do have a really good episode coming for you on Monday. Uh, a big uh, a big name from the NC State world will be joining. Uh, so if you're an NC State fan or you know NC State fans, let them know. You can find us at chowderandgrits.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter. And then, of course, you can listen to us pretty much anywhere that you would listen to a podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, or Stitcher. And Tim, why don't you tell these people what they can do for us? Leave us a review. Five stars is appreciated. Um, Share our content on Twitter, on Facebook. Any way you can help to get the word out is appreciated. Um, You know, like I mentioned for the past three podcasts, we are seeing the uptick in listeners. So you guys are helping and we are very, very grateful for that. Um, Other than that, just keep listening. Uh, Keep downloading the podcast and hopefully you guys are enjoying as uh, we're going through this process and getting some uh getting some more podcasts added to our library which is always good so once again we're happy to to bring this interview to your guys looking forward to doing more as we approach college football season Um, and you know that's it from us justin i appreciate your time and look forward to our next interview and speaking with you guys in a few days see you guys later